Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ, 102.1 FM, that is the station you are on, it is your local community radio station bringing you all the best uh, radical current affairs, alternative music, local music, local news, all those kind of things. And my name's Andy and I'll be with you for the next hour and today on the show we are chatting to Saul Griffith. Saul, uh, well, there's a, been a, quite a lot said recently. He's just written a book called The Big Switch. Um, he's just come back to Australia. He grew up in Wollongong, and but has been living over the US where he was everything that our uh, kind of uh, media loves. He was a Silicon Valley entrepreneur. He was a scientific advisor for NASA. He was an advisor for US government programs about creating renewable energy. He started 10 startups on clean energy. Not one, 10. Um, So he's got good credentials anyway. He's come back to Australia and he... I uh, started an organisation called Rewiring Australia and it's an attempt to uh, really push Australia towards uh, net zero carbon emissions and um, he's really serious about what it means to do that. It's not uh, the Australian government's vague plan. It is a real plan of, okay, how do we do this um, laid out it means electrifying everything that we can as much energy usage as we can and then it means generating massive amounts of renewable energy to cover all that and let's face it it's pretty timely the last couple of weeks we have seen natural disasters again of the kind that are predicted um in a world affected by climate change and of course the slower we are to transitioning to um a carbonless or much less carbon intensive energy world then the more frequent and more intense these natural disasters are that is what the scientists have been saying of course there was another ipcc report the other week which reiterated what they've been saying for a long time now um as well as the fact of uh i guess big petrochemical states uh and the power they have, not just Russia, but all these countries and the way it affects democracies and geopolitics as well. That's one of the other things about the potential of renewable energy is that it potentially decentralises power in some ways, although 
what we're talking about here in order to do it quickly is going to be require a lot of government work. So anyway, we all know that there's a need to transition away from our current polluting way of life, way of organising society to something that is more sustainable environmentally but how do we really do it that's where Saul Griffith comes in his book is very readable and he has a you know he's been over in America he has this really positive and really kind of way of talking him talking up his plans and everything and um so it's it was good to chat to him uh, I've been reading about him for a little while about his plans and so good to have a chat and I hope that you enjoy it and it's lays out the challenge that is ahead of us but also it is inspiring about I guess the possibilities of it so um, let's have a listen to the first part of my chat with Saul. Could you start off by introducing yourself? I am Saul Griffiths, uh, founder of Rewiring Australia and CEO of Other Lab. Now Saul you do have a new book out that we're going to talk about, but a lot has been made of your previous credentials when it comes to um, entrepreneurship, renewable energy and things like that. So do you want to give us a bit of a overview of your background? Uh, so I, after doing my PhD at MIT in the US, I moved to Silicon Valley and I've started about a dozen companies in clean energy and robotics, including wind energy utility-scale solar energy, rooftop solar energy, hydrogen, energy storage, um, and a bunch of stuff. And some of the work I've done has included modelling US and global energy systems in really high detail and how we manage the transition, including work with uh, in partnership with the Department of Energy there. So your new book is The Big Switch. It's about, I guess trying to, and a big picture idea of how to transfer Australia to a more carbon-friendly electricity grid or generally energy usage. Can you tell us what's the book about? The, the book, The Big Switch, is really about Australia's role in the world for decarbonising and it seeks to demystify the conversation, make it really simple for us to understand the extraordinary opportunity for Australia to lead the world, save money for households and create the strongest export industry we've ever had. Mm. Which all sounds pretty good. Um, What does that look like in practice? So through all the work I've done modelling energy systems, part of it's like, well, how do you actually get to zero emissions? And the answer really is we're going to have to electrify nearly everything in our lives and our society because you know we don't really have a viable pathway for keeping our cars and our lives at zero emissions unless they're largely all electric cars we don't really have a, a pathway to heat our homes and our showers and hot water unless we wholly electrify those things and power them all with renewables so um the answer is electrify everything and i think it's a useful way to summarize what we have to do and then the book goes in a whole bunch of detail on you know kind of the schedule by which we need to electrify our vehicles same with our electrifying our kitchen electrifying our hot water heat and puts those activities in the perspective of hitting our climate targets of one and a half to two degrees so in terms of the average household then we all use electricity but 
yeah, kitchens, cars, potentially hot water systems in some older places. Um, these things are things that you're saying need to be transferred to electric and then presumably bigger grid changes as well. Absolutely. So here's the crazy cool thing about electricity is um, if we electrify all of the things we do in Australia, including our heating and our vehicles, we're actually going to more than halve the amount of energy we need to run the whole economy. And we can get to do that without shrinking the cars, without turning the thermostat up or down. Um, so electricity is sort of just like this super technology for that. Um, today, the average Australian house uses about 13 kilowatt hours of electricity per day. They use about 100 kilowatt hours of energy of all forms per day. So that means the extra... Um, petrol that we use, the extra natural gas we use, and the wasted energy from coal or gas in generating electricity with fossil fuels. If we electrify the 1.9 vehicles in the average Australian driveway, we electrify the water heater and the kitchen and the space heaters and all the other things, the average Australian house will go up from that 13 kilowatt hours a day to about 35 kilowatt hours a day. So we're going to need to more than double and nearly triple the amount of electricity we produce. Um, but it does mean we get this enormous discount. So we go from 100 down to 33 kilowatt hours. So that's just how much more efficient electrification of everything is. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things you point out. There's a lot of passive energy use um, from, you know, petrol-powered cars, gas-powered stoves, things like that. Yep, I mean... Every Australian knows that you drive for a long while in your car and you can't really sit on the bonnet and the engine's red hot. And that heat that you feel is the waste heat of using petrol to move a vehicle. That doesn't happen in electric cars. You don't lose all of that. That 80% of energy you lose in waste heat in the car, you don't lose it in an electric vehicle. And the same is true for all of these other machines in our lives. And then the other big thing is, you know, 75% of the coal we put into um, the coal pipe station doesn't really make electricity. It makes it just goes up the smokestack as heat and is lost. And so we get to eliminate those huge wastes in the in the Australian energy economy. And because the cost of wind and solar renewables is getting so cheap, those savings actually then translate into huge economic savings for every household and every community. Mm. So at this stage where less than 20% of Australia's grid is from renewable energy, what needs to change? In that, if you're talking about getting to 100%, obviously that's vast changes. And then there's issues about, you know, off-peak demand and things like that when at night when there's no sun. So what's your ideas of what needs to change for our electrical grid on a large scale? Well, we first thing is we've got to move the target. So a lot of people think, decarbonizing is just taking the existing grid and running it all on renewables and like you said it's about 20% renewables today we'd like that to be 100 so that's five we need to increase the amount of renewables by five times but remember what I said about the houses and all of our end uses we're going to need to triple the amount of electricity so we actually need to set the goal three times higher and we need to generate 15 times as much renewables as we have today at least um so that's a huge investment in those technologies. Um, we then need to invest in electrifying the end uses, which is the, again, cars, 
the heating systems, the water heating systems, our small businesses, even our industry, all electric. And then there'll be so many batteries built into that system in terms of the batteries on in our cars and on the side of our houses that it ends up becoming a energy management problem that'll largely be done with software that just makes sure that all of the electricity that's coming from our wind and solar either gets used directly when it's generated or gets put into a battery in the car or on the side of your house to run your life when the sun is down and the wind isn't blowing. So this is an idea that's been around, particularly the car batteries being in the grid. Um, I feel like a few years ago, this was a very commonly discussed thing and it kind of went out of fashion a bit, but the idea that if we have a lot of electric cars and when they're parked, they're plugged into the grid and they are, you know, a energy conduit, the energy when excess is being produced, it can go in and when it's there's not enough being produced in the grid, it can go back out from the cars. This is a big part of what your vision of the future looks like. Um, the specifically what we're talking about is vehicle to grid. So can we use our vehicles to feed energy back into the grid? If you were thinking about the total cost of the project for Australia to decarbonise, a lot of it is going to be that cost is in how many batteries there are. The good news is the batteries are going down hugely. The other good news is our cars are going to be a huge portion of those batteries. And we will have a choice of enabling that vehicle to grid and using our batteries as it, or we could just buy more batteries and have batteries, you know, on the distribution network on the side of your house as well as the car batteries. It'll be redundant um, and it will mean more batteries, but, you know, both of those things work. Personally, the, the battery packs on cars are getting so big in the next generation of electric vehicles that you could easily afford to dedicate 10 or 20% of those batteries to help balance the grid. Um, will all of the automakers and car makers play nice in that game? Maybe, maybe not. We good policy would have an influence on that. Hopefully, we influence it in the in the, in the right way. Um, but at the very least, we just need to make sure. You know, we can already see the future. The majority of energy in Australia will be produced during daylight hours and when the wind is blowing, and so at least moving the behaviours around when we charge the vehicles so we're charging them when the renewables are peaking, that alone might be enough. Um, but it's sort of that speaks to the sort of options we have here uh, and it would be easiest and best if we can do vehicle-to-grid, having the, the car batteries not only take from the grid but occasionally feeding back to run our houses and community. Mm. Now, as you've said, there needs to be a a huge kind of exponential leap in renewable uh, energy generation. At the moment, most of our renewables in Australia are photovoltaic panels or um, large-scale hydro or wind farms. Do, do you envision just more of that as being how we generate all this electricity or what other technologies that's going to allow this like huge amount of electricity to be generated? Honestly, those three things are going to do the heavy lifting. And of those three things, the two that are going to do the most of the heavy lifting are solar and wind, just because they're the two renewables that are in the largest quantities. Um, a significant portion of what's renewable-generated electricity in Australia, a lot of people aren't aware, is actually electricity generated when we use waste byproducts of agriculture, for example, the bagasse of the sugarcane industry, um, to generate power to run those industries. So there will be a niche role for some biofuels like that. There will be a niche role for some geothermal generated electricity. 
Um, but honestly, the real answer is the the jury is in. Industrial wind is really cheap. Industrial solar is really cheap. Solar on your rooftops is even cheaper because you eliminate a lot of the transmission and distribution costs. And those three things are, are where we're going to get the lion's share of our um, electricity. Mm. So you mentioned policy just before when we we're talking about cars and um, one of the in your book you do talk about personal choices about consumer choices to electrify household goods but there's a obviously a lot of this needs to be policy um, how do you see these two things balanced when it comes to making these kind of big changes I think what a lot of people don't appreciate is just how tightly policy and energy and the cost of energy are intertwined. Uh, Australia has done a couple of good things on energy policy. We've done a couple of terrible things. So, for example, we don't have an emission standard for our vehicles. Because we don't have any emission standards for our vehicles, the automotive companies in the world are deep... You know, they, they put California and New York ahead of us in the queue to get electric vehicles because they have to meet the standards in those parts of the world and they can just sell their shitty old internal combustion engines to us. So if Australia wants to get further up the queue and really engage in the future, and even, honestly, if governments were interested in helping households save money by driving electric vehicles, um, they would be putting in emission standards and even a, a, a phased-out plan. Like, no new, no new vehicle sales after 2025 can be internal combustion engines. That's the world's best policy right now. That's what they're doing in Norway. The Australian government should be trying to do something that ambitious. The way this will make sense for the Australian household is that the math is simple. If you're driving a 10-litre per 100-kilometre car today, that's costing you 15, 20 cents a kilometre uh, in petrol prices. If you were driving the equivalent size electric vehicle today, you'd be paying 2 to 5 cents a kilometre. So, you know, we're going to save it hell of a lot of money on these electric vehicles um, and so good policy including that emissions policy including subsidizing the early market while it's developing for these things so that it isn't just seen as something that only rich families can afford they would be good policies on the electric vehicle front the good policy that we did in the past that was really smart is we ran a training and certification program around solar that developed the workforce and got a whole lot of people excited about installing solar on rooftops as a career. It lowered the cost of the solar at the same time as the the government had good policy subsidising solar on Australian rooftops. And honestly, we are the envy of the world. We've got the highest penetration of rooftop solar in the world in some places above 30%. uh, And... Australian consumers now have a generally positive experience that that is the cheapest energy in their life. Um, And so, honestly, that should be template policy for what we do for everything else we need in this transition. So we should have the same sort of policy for heat pumps. That's how we do our air conditioning, our heating and our water heat. We should have the same sort of policy for our vehicle charging systems, for our household and community battery systems, and for the electrification of our kitchens and other uh, household appliances because we are going to need, you know, to do this on the time scale, time frame that climate requires. Um, we need a hell of a lot more sparkies and a hell of a lot more HVAC technicians um, than we have in Australia today. And if we want to make it 
the lowest cost for the household, then we want to eliminate the soft costs and the regulatory costs. Um, and the good news is we've got this template of solar regs to do it, so why don't we just do it again? Now, a book along similar lines to yours, a few years ago, Ross Garner wrote a book about Australia as a renewable energy superpower, where he talked about exporting energy, but also manufacturing, trying to use green energy for a lot of green manufacturing in Australia. Um, Is that something that you see as a a way of sort of paying for this transition? And um, you talked about Australia being an export superpower. Is that something that you see as also viable? So I really divided the book into two parts. Um, Ross and his book and ideas are really good, but I think that you can be made even clearer, and I hopefully I achieved that a little bit in this book, which was to talk about what happens in our domestic economy, and that's what we've been talking about so far, the cars and, the, and our homes, because those technologies are ready to go today. And so that's something that Australia can do immediately. Um, and in terms of, you know, you mentioned, like, what's going to pay for this, the reality is that project will pay for itself. If we do that project right, Australian homes today are spending about four and a half thousand dollars a year on energy. It's like fifty, you know, it, it's many, many hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, if we um, do this electrification and we finance it correctly, by about twenty thirty, the average Australian household is going to be saving around five thousand dollars a year, four and a half, five thousand dollars a year, compared to their existing costs which means savings to the economy of 40 to $50 billion a year. And that's huge. So the project actually pays for itself. Yes, in 2022, you have to subsidise this a little bit, but we only have to do that for a few more years because the cost of everything are coming down and then we save all this money. So that's the good news story. This decade, we get to save the money in our domestic economy. And that buys us enough time to actually realise Ross Garno's vision of being a superpower. Absolutely, we should make more energy than we need cleanly for Australia because if we, this is the second half of my book, if we use that cleanly generated electricity to make, you know, to convert our iron ore into steel here, to convert our bauxite and aluminum ore into aluminium here, um, just merely by do, you know, doing more processing in those primary industries um, we can absorb huge amounts of renewable energy and then create far more profitable export industries um, to replace the fossil fuel export industry that we're in fear of losing. Just to put that in perspective, we earn you know, around about $80 billion a year for all of our coal and natural gas. If we merely used Australian, just talking about steel, if we if we took all of the Australian iron ore that we currently export and we converted it into steel in Australia, um, that'd be worth about $800 billion more as an export industry. So cleanly generating energy for Australian industry here and using it to process our ores into metals is, and honestly, that's the, the cherry on top of the cake for Australia. That's how we win next decade. Okay, well, the last question I just want to ask, you're very positive um, in your vision and how doable it is and how um, little change it means in general, you know, that this is a, a net gain and our lifestyles be better. Uh, whereas a, a lot of the time when we're thinking about climate change, there's been a, this feeling that we need to 
consume less we need i mean the manufacturing cost of of all these things is has its own environmental cost and then there's the the parts of the world that are less developed now that we want to enable to have the same quality of life that we take for granted and is there enough resources to go around um and so i just want to put this to like I guess that's the question. Is there enough resources to go around for everybody in the world to live the lifestyle that we have now and still not ruin our climate? The simple answer to that that won't satisfy anyone is yes, there's enough. Um, But I actually really think this is a topic worth exploring. Um, But before we explore the topic, let's just understand the history of this. Um, The environmentalist movement the modern one at least, was in some respects born on Earth Day in 1970, uh, which was just before the energy crisis of the 1970s happened. And the environmentalist movement was formed and they were looking for themes to rally around. And when the energy crisis happened, um, the solution to that 1970s crisis largely was a solution of efficiency. So drive a smaller car, have more efficient houses, sort of gave birth to the reduce, reuse, recycle mantra and the idea of of efficiency as a solution for an energy crisis. The climate crisis is quite different because we can't efficiency our way all the way to zero emissions. It doesn't matter how, you know, even a hundred mile, you know, or or, or one litre per hundred kilometre car is still burning fossil fuels if it's running on petrol. So you need transformation more than you need efficiency to solve this one and you need to go to a whole new lifestyle and the book tells you about how that needs to be all electric. The book also says like how Australians will more than halve their energy use per capita and it'll go down to about 4,000 watts per person um, if we do all this electrification and that's a great news story. Um, Let me sort of give you one of the good components of that. To do the Australian lifestyle today, powered by fossil fuels, there's about 6,000 kilograms or six tonnes a year of coal, oil and natural gas that's burned for every Australian man, woman and child. Um, When it's burned, that becomes about 20,000 kilograms and 20 tonnes of carbon dioxide. If we were to take that 4,000 watt all-electric lifestyle and we would produce half the energy with wind, half the energy with solar and store half of it in batteries, you're only going to need 25 to 50 kilograms of wind turbines per year per person, 50 kilograms of solar and 50 kilograms of batteries per person per year. But remember that those wind turbines can be recycled in a way that coal can't be recycled. You burn coal once, it's in the atmosphere, you just throw it away. But with wind turbines, we should be able to recycle the majority of it same is true for solar cells, same is true of batteries. So then instead of really needing 50 kilograms of new stuff every year, you actually only need a few kilograms of new stuff because the rest of it will just be recycled. So that's sort of the cartoon of how we get to a circular economy where we are recycling all the things required to give us the lifestyle that we have. It's sort of the cake and eat it too. Because Australians have such extraordinary mineral resources and renewable resources, it's very easy to do this for Australia's 28 million people. Does that model work for 1.2 billion people in China and uh, more than a billion people in India? The answer is it will be much harder to make that model work exactly for the whole world. So there might, you know, not everyone will 
will have this transition with the same good fortune as Australia, so they, in fact, will need to use some efficiency and some behaviour change or, you know, heavily invest in nuclear electricity as the solution uh, in those countries. So you can actually see a pathway forward here for, you know, the circular economy I think we'd all like, which is pretty light footprint on the earth. Um, the And I think, you know, people are concerned about, well, what about the energy it takes to create the solar cells? Yes, we have to make a huge number, but it only takes about three months for a modern solar cell to earn back all the energy that was required to make it. After that, it's producing guilt-free energy for 20 years. And that's true also for wind and, 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 and for the batteries. So we have enough. We're not going to bankrupt the environment making these things because really we're just going to be making these things instead of making fossil fuel things. Um, and it is our pathway to uh, a better world. To finish the thoughts there, could we solve climate change and still, you know, ruin the oceans and choke it with plastic? Yes, absolutely. So we have to be vigilant about how we do this. But at least this is a pathway where um, we can imagine keeping the, the trappings of our modern life that we enjoy while also addressing the, the problem of our generation. Okay, thanks very much, Saul. Do you want to give your book a final plug? Uh, you should read The Big Switch. It's about turning Australia on to the electric revolution about electrifying everything um i think we as a as a population can manifest this future uh australia gets to go first go hard go early and win and show the world how to do it and just imagine how um, refreshing it would be to be proud of australia on climate policy instead of embarrassed okay thanks very much Saul. no worries cheers mate we were talking with Saul Griffith who has just written a book called The Big Switch and he's not just written a book, he's got big goals. Rewiring Australia is this uh, thing he started and basically it is an attempt to bring about, start talking seriously about the changes that are required for Australia to get to net zero emissions. But then beyond, of course, like Ross Garner, he has a, a vision of Australia generating 2 to 300% of the energy that's required um, for our grid and then exporting energy. Um, and you can do that, could be done with cables running to Southeast Asia, places with less ability to generate um, electricity that we have or uh, exporting hydrogen energy cells or, um, yeah, trying to do mass green manufacturing here in this country by generating a lot of excess um, electricity to do that, uh, hydrogen for steel making, all kinds of things. So it's a pretty enticing vision um, and I like what he said at the end, imagine being proud of Australia's climate policies rather than ashamed and it really shouldn't be that hard. We are a better place than almost any country. Um, we, With the renewable resources that we have, with the ease of sort of change that we have, you know, Australians more compared to most countries do have a sort of uh, disposable income to be making transitions and we also uh, don't have quite the same corporate influence or sort of hyper individualism as countries like the US we do have you know big government programs and things like that and of course COVID well it did show 
a way that we can respond to crises and the climate crisis is upon us as the floods in recent days have shown and so this is Australia's chance to do something I guess the thing we saw Griffiths talk is that it is a it's such a big vision and you've got neither political party saying this uh Politicians, especially with an election coming up, don't want to be talking much about change. Generally, people don't like change. Um, and so, they're, even though, I mean, Labor have announced their climate policy, their coalition, of course, have none. Um, but uh, the, the, we don't have this political vision, and it sort of seems a long way off. But the other thing is that there is a, an individual element of... Um, what he's talking about here, about some of our consumer choices. Um, and so often when we talk about climate change, it's about buying less, of reusing, recycling, which I th- definitely advocate. But it is interesting where Saul Griffith talking about if we're going to properly respond to climate change, we need to electrify everything. And then he's like, so the big purchases that you make that affect your household energy usage the decisions that you only make once every 10 years or so you know what car will you get what um uh, how will you heat or cool your house how will you cook um these kind of things this is where we need to think about okay this is a big decision this is not something that you can go back on six months down the track or something like that i thinking for the future for these choices and it certainly made me think um I have always tried to be a very conscientious user of energy and try to use as little as possible, but um, start to think like, well, maybe um, cooking with gas is, isn't sustainable in the long run and we need to look at induction stoves and things like this as a more sustainable thing. And even as a renter, you know, you can buy a little plug-in induction stoves, different things like that. Um, cars, of course... For so many of us, electric cars just seem this impossibility. They're, you know, they're for rich people or whatever. But, you know, if we are serious about tackling climate change, well, at some point everybody's going to need, or most of the vast majority of people are going to need to drive electric cars. Otherwise, we're just kidding ourselves. Um, so it's certainly thought-provoking. You can read uh, The Big Switch by Saul Griffith. There's also been extracts from it published around the place. Um and rewiring australia as well you can find online to find more and think about that i also uh there's been other groups ross garner of course we did mention him in the interview has been talking about this for a long time um other people like tim flannery beyond zero emissions which is really interesting it's a unlike these big sort of startups um you know, Saul Griffith has a lot of investors and things like that to invest in rewiring Australia, whereas Beyond Zero Emissions was just a totally grassroots thing. People who worked in the field as um, engineers, electricians, whatever, um, who were saying, well, let's try to make a plan, a feasible plan, and then present it to politicians and things like that. And, of course, that's been going for a number of years in Australia as well. And you can check out Beyond Zero Emissions with some of their plans as well. So... Um, yes, plenty of, plenty of possibilities there for us to think about. And of course, when it comes to careers as well, um, this is, you know, if we are going to generate 
uh, what, 15 times the renewable energy that we currently do just to um, cover our grid. We need electricians, renewable energy experts, you know, all kinds of technicians for these plants, things like that. And so what does a, a real attempt to tackle climate change look like? Well, it looks like some pretty dramatic changes. And that's before we even get to, I think, looking at worldwide, how do we bring in countries that um, deserve to have a better standard of living than they currently have, deserve to have some of the advantages that we have, but don't have the same ability to generate renewable energy? Well, that's another question as well with big big questions but we will keep trying to tackle them on the paradigm shift and um so keep tuning in and of course there's lots of environment groups all around that you can join as well and maybe we need to start talking about again about well uh, solar co-ops things like that to help people get solar panels on their houses and um, things like that ways for renters to pressure landlords to put solar panels on all kinds of things we it's going to need a massive organization to face our generation's great um, great challenge that's about all for the paradigm shift see you next week